Hi, Ralph. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And uh, hey, want to welcome our listeners to the Psychology Takeaway podcast. And today we have a special guest, right, Ralph? We do. We have uh, a delightful woman who works in uh, mental health uh, services, and she's going to be uh, uh, telling us what we lack as, uh, as a small Michigan town. Elizabeth, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell uh, the listeners where your primary job is and what your other services are. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. Um, I'm Elizabeth Husbands. I'm a limited licensed psychologist. I've been doing this work for about 25 years now. I currently work um, in two places. I work with RISE Advocacy as their program manager. RISE provides domestic violence and sexual assault services to um, victims and survivors of both of those here in Mount Pleasant. And then I work with Central Michigan Care, which is an autism center. Um, I do assessments for them for families who are looking to find answers for their children. I also have a private practice and I provide counseling assessments for families and children. So I keep myself pretty busy. <laughs> I bet you do. Um, what's your assessment, do you think, uh, Elizabeth, of the uh, well, incidence of uh, uh, emotional disturbance or mental illness either here in Michigan or, or globally? Do you have a kind of a handle on that? Well, I think that we're seeing a significant increase. Okay. Um, I don't know, and especially since this pandemic, and I don't know if that's because we are just being more observant of what's happening in the world around us because we have kind of had to pay attention to each other or if it's because of the pandemic itself and people are just talking about it more, but I definitely know that we've seen an increase in the need for services. Yeah, I was listening to, I guess it was a program on NPR this week, and uh, the announcers were saying that in Australia, uh, youth suicide has gone up uh, by threefold. and. Uh, you know, that's a problem here in America, and I would assume it had been a problem in Australia before. So a three-fold increase is probably going to be attributed to some, at least some of the pandemic, not necessarily the whole thing. Yeah, and Australia was pretty um, draconian in its lockdowns, <clears throat> kind of like New York City. And I think a lot of people uh, maybe felt very isolated. Uh, the Australians I've known have always been pretty outgoing folks. So, you know, missing contact with others, I think, would uh, would have been a significant thing for Australian teens. Not, not having a, a Foster's or a shrimp to put in the body? Indeed. Okay. Yeah. So, it's kind of interesting. We focus on Australia. But, uh, or the United States, but as I read it, uh, mental illness is a equal opportunity uh, disability and it is everywhere. And uh, you know, I th can think perhaps even more so in uh, countries where 
we have uh, you know a lot of civil unrest like Sudan for example you know I don't think we have any stats on what's going on there but I'd be pretty uh, amazed if we didn't have you know very significant uh, adverse childhood experiences leading to uh, later trauma yeah and uh, one figure that has come up uh, Jim that uh, you cited was 25% of, uh, of adults worldwide. Now that 25%, yeah, okay, so a quarter. Well, when you work it out worldwide, that's three billion people. <laughs> that's, a, that's a few people, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. That's basically India and China combined. If, mm -hmm. you, if you took their two populations yeah. and uh, spread them around the world, that would be the number of people who are suffering a mental illness. Yeah. Um, how do you like those numbers, Elizabeth? Well, that's staggering when you think about it in that way. I, I was just thinking, like, when you hear, you know, 25%, that's not a lot. But when, you know, Ralph transposes it into 3 billion, and then you think, well, India and China, we always think those are such highly populated places. But when you think about it, that those many people struggling with mental illness, and not receiving the services that they need. Mm -hmm. And then I think about the number of people in our community. Yeah. You know, um, well, you're working three jobs, it sounds like, you know, with the uh, care facility for autistic children, RISE with its uh, what, uh, programs for uh, abused, abused or, or biggest abused uh, spouses, and then another one. Um, uh, we must have lots of services here in, uh, in the middle part of Michigan, right? No, we are, we are, we don't. My, my tongue was firmly in my cheek at that yes, point. Yes, yeah. we are so, um, there is definitely a desert of services here. Yeah, it's kind of like, I've heard somebody say, you draw a line from east to west through maybe St. John's or Lansing and down below that line, more services. Above the line, as you say, kind of a desert. Yeah, we we have some services, and, and if we like, we can even draw a circle around Mount Pleasant and say we have services for certain things. Uh -huh. And then the further out you go, um, for our rur more rural communities, we just lack services overall. Uh -huh. um, for certain things like for example if we look at people looking for substance abuse treatment we just don't have that available here okay we hit certain things like if you want to go to an AA meeting we can provide all the AA meetings you want mm -hmm. but if you're looking for more formal treatment we just don't have those things available yeah okay. yeah and you know again to look at it globally uh, so I gave the example of the population of India and China being globally the number of people with a mental health issue. And then you say, okay, uh, well, two-thirds of people with mental health issues don't get adequate treatment. Uh, let me see, two-thirds of three billion, that would be two billion people mm -hmm. globally. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's a staggering figure. Yeah. And there are a lot of reasons for it. You know, one, one reason is uh, the stigma that is still attached to um, mental illness. And so some people are going to self-select. They're just going to not seek 
mental health treatment. But uh, one of the stats that I saw is that about 57% of people who need um, mental health treatment don't do it for a number of reasons. And uh, one of the reasons is the stigma, perhaps, but another reason is uh, uh, a lack of resources. Another reason is inability to pay for the services, right? Okay. Yeah, so uh, Elizabeth was telling us earlier that, uh, well, you could, you could tell it, Elizabeth, the, uh, the problem of uh, people who are on uh, Medicaid. Mm -hmm. If you have a, a state-funded insurance, there is, a, there is such a limit to the number of places that you can go. Sure, if you have private insurance, you may have more resources available to you. But if you have a state-funded insurance and you happen to live in Mount Pleasant or any of the surrounding areas, the closest facility is Midland for any kind of a um, detox or rehab. Okay. And it's not the best quality of services. Okay. Um, and there's probably a waiting list. Yeah. I know at the clinic that I work in, um, there are some uh, clients that have Medicaid, I think it is, mm -hmm. and children, and, and, but um, yeah, I think you're right. It's probably pretty limited. And with some of these insurance uh, policy uh, accounts of policies, there's a fairly hefty copay too, which, you know, $35, $40 might not seem like much, but for some people who are living in the ragged edge of nothing, that's significant. You know, it's a matter of, do you go and see your therapist or do you, you know, feed your kid? Yeah. And for a lot of them, that is a big deterrent. And because if you think about having to do that every week, mm -hmm. then we're talking, you know, a significant amount of money in a month. Right. And for a lot of them, that's a third of their rent. Mm -hmm. You know, and when we're putting it into very realistic numbers, yeah. then they're making a huge decision. Do I take care of myself? Which for a lot of families, you know, for a parent, that's, a, that's being selfish. Mm. Because now I'm talking about, I'm taking a third of the rent or I'm taking a grocery bill to take care of myself when I could be taking care of my family. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, I can't do that as a mom or I can't do that as a father. Right. Okay, I, I get you. You know, even something like the ability to get into a place that offers services. You know, you've got to have a car that works. You Here in Michigan, you have to be uh, confident of driving in the wintertime. In fact, driving sometimes in pretty adverse weather. Uh, so there are, you know, some physical things that are impediments too. And if you live in rural Michigan and you don't have a car, like if you live in Clare and mm -hmm. you don't have a car, getting to a facility that provides services is going to be a challenge. Yeah. First, you have to find a, find a place that is a provider for your insurance because even a lot of the private practice places are opting not to accept many of the Medicaids mm -hmm. because of the, the challenge of getting accepted, getting approved, all of the things that that requires, so they're opting not to. So there you cut down the number of opportunities for someone to receive services. And then now getting there. We don't have the most reliable transit system. 
And if you're coming from Claire for an appointment, it could take you all day because you've got to transfer here, you've got to meet this bus and transfer to this one. And so a one hour appointment could take you eight hours. Yeah, and that's coming from a town 15 miles away from Mount Pleasant. Well, and then we're asking them to give up a day's work, really, for uh -huh. a lot of families. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, another thing that, uh, that strikes me is that a lot of people who uh, know they need the services, know they can't afford them uh, or they can't afford the time off work, uh, end up basically self-medicating. Uh, so you say, well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little stressed right now, but a bottle of wine will take care of that tonight. Um, and then a year later, you're saying, you know, I think I might have an alcohol misuse problem. Uh, and then you say, well, wait a minute, that takes me back to my depression problem of a year ago, which I couldn't get treated. And now I've got depression and an alcohol use disorder. Aha, uh -huh. Com comorbidity there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, it, it's a double whammy for a lot of people. Yeah, it is. Well, and I was just thinking, I can hear the skeptics saying, well, why aren't they going for telehealth? And we've got that available in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Well, it, again, if you're living in a rural community, you may have spotty Wi-Fi, or you may, you may be in a community where you can't get you may be able to pay for it, and you can't get it. I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine who is capable of play, paying for it. We're on a, um, a board together, and oftentimes when we meet via Zoom, she's got to turn her video off because her satellite Wi-Fi system can't do audio and video. And so this is somebody who is well able to afford it, but because of where she lives, she can't do both. Her yeah. bandwidth just doesn't provide for that. So now you take that to a person who is struggling to make ends meet, and they may not have the capability of doing a telehealth service. Or they may be doing a telephone, a telephone but then if they don't have the minutes to do an hour-long session or, you know, so we're, we're again coming to that place where we're asking people to make choices. Yeah. Am I taking care of myself? Am I taking care of my family? If my phone plan only allows me to have 30 minutes a month, then I'm going to use those very sparingly. I'm going to text you all you want because text doesn't use my minutes, but then to do an actual session where I'm going to have to do 30 minutes or you know, 60 minutes, then that's going to be something else. Yeah, I mean, that's a good good point because uh, uh, telehealth is uh, not something a lot of people are comfortable with. Um, I've seen uh, clients on the screen and uh, uh, literally all hell is breaking loose in the home. And, uh, you know, the, the privacy that we would like to see as, as therapists is, you know, Pretty much out the window, so there's that part of it. Um, I've seen several clients who had unstable uh, connection or connectability, and uh, you know, a call that gets dropped every two or three minutes. You know, doesn't uh, doesn't work very well. But this has made me think of something else, and we have that number, um, uh, Ralph. What did you? What is? Uh, what's 25% uh, uh, of the world population about? 
25% or 3 billion. 3 billion people. Okay, well, here in the United States, we have 350 million people. So, you know, a lot less than even, you know, 1 billion. And so, there are two things that come to mind. One, if you're in Sudan, or if you're in Kazakhstan, or if you're in China, um, uh, do you have people who are trained as mental health professionals to, to uh, uh, treat you even if you, uh, you know, even if you had access to them? And are there enough of them? What do you think, Elizabeth? I think in some of those places you probably do because we have a lot of organizations that will send people there. Okay. But depending on how, again, I, I think about, like, if you're in one of those more central places, yes, you may have access, mm -hmm. but it's limited because those people are on, you know, short-term loan kind of things. Yeah, I mean, doctors without borders, uh, therapists without borders. I haven't heard that one uh, yet. Well, but. And then you have, then it's, then you have trauma upon trauma upon trauma. So yes. you're only yeah. going to be scratching the surface of yeah. anything. Yeah. And we, and as we know, when you're doing trauma work, it's a long process. Mm -hmm. You may do six months and you hit, okay, I need a break. Our clients are gonna scatter for a while and then they're, or they're gonna change therapists because you just stirred up a hornet's nest that I don't wanna deal with. And then they're gonna come back. But when you're in a country that has been through the kind of trauma that the countries you mentioned have been through, you need somebody who has really been well-trained. And I, for one, am not going to be going to those countries. Mm -hmm. And most of our most of our, our well-trained clinicians are not. Right. And so they're not getting the help that they need. Yeah, yeah. we have. I've been with the uh, um, psychology training program here at Central Michigan University for 50 years, and uh, uh, very seldom do we have um, a student from uh, even a European country, let alone a, a developing country. And one of the things that uh, a lot of people have talked about, and Ralph and I have talked about it with Uruk, uh, 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 and that is uh, work with the uh, uh, black and brown community. Uh, very seldom have we had uh, therapists or, uh, in training in our program uh, from, that represent that community. I mean, I can think of half a dozen perhaps, but uh, in 50 years, that's not very many. And so that's a, a group of people that are underrepresented in terms of um, the, who, who they'd go and see. Because if I were a black or a brown person, I'd probably want to see a black or a brown therapist. I would say most of my private practice are people of color see, seeking therapists who look like themselves. Yeah, and that yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I have a good portion of my practice that are therapists. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's another good point. Uh, yeah, who's, who's a therapist for the therapist? Well, there is a therapist out there. You know, one of the stats that is alarming right now is that the suicide rate among doctors is about, has, has doubled, you know, yeah. in the last few years. Again, COVID-related or, you know, some, something else related, you know, we don't know. But uh, the, the idea of, of the, the therapist taking care of himself or herself is uh, just about as foreign as uh, the idea of 
well, I'm going to give up um, some gas money or food money, you know, to, to go into therapy. You know, yeah. Now, you know, the other thing when we're talking about people who have to travel uh, to get to a therapist and the difficulty of that is uh, that... Um, 38% of Americans have had to wait longer than a week to get access to a therapist. Yeah, that doesn't sound very critical. You know, uh, hey, uh, I've got a sore shoulder. Well, you're going to have to wait a week to see your doctor. Hey, I've got a sore brain. You're going to have to wait a week to see your therapist. But if you think of it this way, uh, I'm having a lot of thoughts of ending it all and going down to the woodshed with a case of beer and a rope and hanging myself. Uh, and, you know, it's really starting to be kind of overwhelming. And well, just uh, wait a week and we'll get you in there, Ralph, okay? Yeah, well, by the time a week has gone by, you may not get me in, except to the funeral director. Ah, another cure. Yeah, permanent. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, so, uh, and Elizabeth was saying, you know, we don't have anything very uh, effective for uh, detoxing or drug addiction locally in terms of programs. Uh, a young friend of mine had to travel uh, 150 miles to get to a detox and treatment center. Um, and he did not have a reliable car, so my wife and I were able to take him. But if you're in a position where you say, gee, I've got to go all the way to there, and I don't have um, anybody who wants to take me, mm -hmm. you know, uh, might as well be the moon. Well, let's add another complication to that. Add a young parent with children. I had a client who was who is a young mother with two children, one was six, one was a year and a half, looking for treatment. There aren't any, there are, there was one treatment center that we found that would accept a family. Hmm. And that was in the UP. Okay. And she didn't have a vehicle. Okay. What about community mental health? Uh, what, can, can they help out? Community mental health provides a screening service, mm -hmm. but community mental health is so overworked right now. Oh, okay. And they are having the same issue that 90% of employers are having right now. They have, oh, they have open positions and nobody to fill them. Okay. And so their employees are doing, are overworked. Um, they have employees that are doing multiple jobs, mm -hmm. and so sometimes there is a delay in finding the services that you need because, you know, you may have somebody, they have a, a program set up for people to be screened, but there may be people sitting at the hospital for two or three hours waiting for somebody to come in and screen them. Okay. Um, uh, and does, men, does community mental health supply... Uh, support services for like you know, the the uh, young mother that you talked about uh, can she get a babysitter so that she can come into to a therapy session if she can find a therapist 
Actually, they do. Okay. Their case manager will help with that. And I only, again, know that um, the answer to that because I had a, a client um, who works with community mental health is trying to schedule for a, an assessment from one of her kids. And that's been a, a hindrance. And her case manager is working to help set up um, a babysitter so that she can have someone sit with the younger child so we can get the autism set up. It takes a while, mm -hmm. but it's a service that they can provide. Okay. Um, my daughter works for Community Mental Health, and she is, I believe, if her job hasn't changed recently, she's called a, a wraparound uh, facilitator. And what she, it seems like what she does, and she's been on the podcast before, and we'll probably bring her back to talk about this, seems like she kind of coordinates as best that she can the various services that are in the community. So there's not one, uh, one size fits all place for, for, for a person with a problem, but the, you might need a babysitter. I don't know if she can provide reliable transportation or not. I don't know. You know so we'll, we'll get Bridget on, okay? We'll, yeah, we'll, that would we'll be good. About this. We, uh, one of the things that is also true, and we've been talking about the difference between rural and urban, is folks who are living in rural communities uh, may not know what's available and may in fact not have any easy way of finding out. Uh, for example, I'm sitting at a table where there are two therapists and if I needed uh, some treatment, I could say, uh, Jim, who do you recommend? What do you recommend? Or Elizabeth, what do you recommend? Uh, and uh, maybe a rural person uh, doesn't know anybody they can talk to and say, uh, where can I go? So a great resource for just people in general is to dial 211. Um, it, you can call 211 and ask them a multitude of questions. Like, I need, to, I need some help paying my utility bills. Who can I contact? I need some help. You know, my car is on the fritz, and I need to. I need my car to get to work. Is there someone in our community that will help with that? Two one one can help you um, figure out who the resources may be for that. Um, I need mental health services, but I can't afford my copays. Are there people who help with that? Two one one is a great resource for. A multitude of those things. So um, this is sort of like 911, but it's for general problem solving. That yeah, and they are available 24 hours a day. Um, I see that Jim brought in the community resource directory, and yeah. you can actually look that up online. Um, it's available at www.8cap.org. Now this is for the four counties around here, mm -hmm. Isabella, Claire, Claire. Montcalm, and, and Gratiot. And Gratiot. Gratiot. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that, because uh, uh, this is a fairly uh, big document, it must be 15, 20 pages in length, do you think that other um, uh, CAPs or other, other yeah. groups the, have the, these things? In the HAROP or whatever, or for whatever county you're in usually puts one of those out. 
the, the what? The HARA, the Local Housing Resource Agency. Housing Resource Agency. Yeah, That's a new word for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they're typically the organization that provides um, housing assistance. Mm -hmm. um, and so ACAP is our local HARA for Isabella County and those counties around. But they are the ones that will typically put that resource out. But 211 can also help you, like, link you to those various resources. Um, I refer tons of clients to both of those resources. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm looking at, we have a page here, Quick Find Phone Numbers, and I see one of your organization, RISE Advocacy, is here, and, you know, you know Life Choices, Christian Counseling, so, you know, at least there's a place to start, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and so those those two resources are easy to find, mm -hmm. and they typically can help you find a ton of other resources for things. Um, the Salvation Army is another really good one to have access to. Um, they can lead you to a lot of other things, and especially right now with Christmas coming up, Salvation Army is taking um, enrollment for their Christmas program. Mm -hmm. So if you're struggling to make ends meet and you're wondering how you're going to do it for your kids, contact the Salvation Army in your community and um, look into that. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at some of the, the hotline phone numbers. Uh, we've uh, talked in the past about uh, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, but there are hotlines for uh, uh, National Runaway Safety Hotline. Uh, uh. RISE has a 24-hour crisis line. There's somebody available 24 hours to respond huh. to both um, sexual assault and domestic violence. Okay, in, in Mount Pleasant, we have uh, Listening Ear, which is a, mm -hmm. is a crisis yep, hotline, that, too. Is it, are you connected with, the, with that group? Yeah, that 411 will connect you to any of those resources. That's why I usually say 411 because it's an easy number for people to remember and they can connect you from that 411 number. They can connect you to RISE, they can connect you to Listening Ear, they can connect you to the National Suicide Hotline, they can connect you to any of those um, crisis lines that you may need. Okay, so at 411 there's a person sitting there by the phone waiting to talk to you if you have a problem. It's, 24 hours a day. Um, they must have several people if they rotate through, right? They do. Okay. Any idea of what the utilization rate is? Are they busy? Or? They are fairly okay. busy. Okay. So, well, you know, Ralph, you uh, have given us in your usual way some gloomy statistics, but uh, uh, thank you, uh, Elizabeth, for leavening this uh, a little bit. and. And yeah, we have some some problems out there, you know, obviously, yeah, and uh, some problems in our field, you know, psychology. Um, but uh, as Elizabeth points out, there are some things that are being done to uh, try to help people in crisis. Yeah, and one of the things, you know, that uh, I tend to be a little skeptic about. I'm from the government. I'm here to help you, uh, but. When the uh, physical infrastructure bill that's currently uh, going through the process passes, one of the things in that is 5G connectivity. 
And I think that will go a long way toward uh, upping the game for rural people in terms of teletherapy, telehealth, that they will not have this spotty, iffy connection anymore. At least that's my hope. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Elizabeth, we're going to let you have the last word here. What do you, uh, what do you want our listeners to take away? That if you are struggling and you need help, please reach out. Um, I know that there are tons of barriers, but one of the things that as an advocate I've learned over the years is that, you know, there are people out there who are really, really wanting to help and a phone call can connect you to many, many resources. And don't let lack of insurance or lack of your thought about resources prevent you from reaching out and getting the help that's available for you. And for our listeners who are in other countries, um, hey, maybe you should uh, think about putting together a community resource directory for your neighborhood so that you can let other people know what is available. Because uh, if you don't know what's available, guess what? You're not going to access it. Okay. Well, until next time, this is Jim. And Ralph. Saying. Keep your stick on the ice. Because we're all in this together. together.